So tonight we're continuing our series Thrive, and we're going to talk about the secret of unstoppable joy. And joy, joy is a beautiful thing. Joy is contagious. When you see it, you just want to be around those type of people. And one of the times that stood out in my life where I experienced the most joy was actually in a place that was the most dirty, dark, and smelly that I've ever been to. And it was in Africa, in Kenya. It was in the slums. I was at in Nairobi, Kenya, and a third of that city is slums. Like, people are literally living in tin houses. And it stinks, it's dirty, it's dangerous. But we went to this orphanage there, and there was a, about 50 of the cutest little African kids, about the same age as my four-year-old Evelyn, and they were just the sweetest kids you've ever seen, and they didn't, they were, eat, they came to this, this, it was actually a school, it wasn't an orphanage, it was a school, and they came to get their one meal a day, and they, but when we showed up, and we hung out with them and played with them, there was like this joy that was just contagious, and I, I walked away thinking, Maybe joy is not based on circumstances. Maybe joy is based on something deeper. And, okay, so we were in Nairobi, Kenya. Our main ministry there was we were living in the dorms at University of Nairobi, which is the Harvard of Kenya, of East Africa. And um, we would go door to door, and we would share the gospel, and we would walk into our dorm room, and their dorms were almost as bad as, they're actually worse off than the prisons in America. And they were dirty, the lights were flickering on and off, and it was stinky. But again, what we discovered is we, we would walk into a dorm room, we would share the gospel, and Jesus would light up the room. Even if the light was flickering, he would... He, we would talk to four guys about the gospel and like all four of them would come to Christ. And then we'd come back the next day and follow up with them and teach them how to, how to read the Bible, how to pray. And this, like we got together at the end of the summer with a group of about 30 of them. And we did this, this new believers retreat that through 30 people that just over the course of a summer that we got to see cross from death to life, that Jesus came into their heart. And it was just this, they had, really, a lot of them had hardly any real hope before Jesus came into their life. They didn't have anything external to cling to. And we were, we were singing around, uh, we were singing in a big circle. Their meetings were just, they always did it in big circles. I like that. It's, it's cool vibes. I wish we could pull that off. We got too many people. But they were singing complete, they were singing this song. Um, let's see if I can, I can butcher it for you. Complete, complete, complete in him. I am complete in him. Hallelujah. Complete, complete, complete in him. I am complete in him. And it was like, yeah, it was like almost like, you know, uh, hoedown, but not quite, but African version. And I was like, but the joy on the faces of these people, it was, it was epic because they had nothing in the world's eyes. But they had everything in Christ. And I think that's something I want to bring home to you guys tonight from God's word, is you can have nothing in the world's eyes, but if you have Christ, you have everything. First Timothy 6, 6, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
A fun fact is David, Cody, and I, next week, Monday after fall retreat, we're actually going back to Kenya, and we get to speak at a conference of about this many college students there, and we're like the main speakers. So be praying for us, and we're also going to be exploring opportunities to maybe send summer teams there. And so if you want to experience what I just told you about, Maybe stick around challenge, and maybe you'll get to get a chance to spend, maybe this summer you'll be in Africa singing that, that song with them. But we're gonna, our main passage for tonight is going to be Philippians 4, 10-13. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. And do, indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I'm, I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives, him strength, who gives me strength. Philippians 4, 10-13. Join me in praying. Jesus, we've already explained the main point of this, this passage is that you are enough. And I pray as we look deeper into this, that you would glorify yourself, that I would get out of the way, that you would exalt yourself, that we would walk away really understanding that you are worth everything to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So imagine your life if you were truly 100% content. <sighs> Wouldn't it? If you really just had that, that contentment in your heart. And I can, I can confess to you, I'm not there yet. Okay? I'm growing in this area. My car broke down for the second time this week today. And my first reaction was not unstoppable joy. Okay? My first reaction was not deep contentment. But I had to wrestle with myself and, and pray to God. And God has given me that. Where I was able to laugh and smile and send memes out about... Um, <laughs> It's a, I found a, Evan hooked me up with a cool meme for it. So there's two big contentment killers. The first one is comparison kills contentment. Comparison kills contentment. So we're, we're familiar with the phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And I just bought a new house, and now I understand what that means. So this is my lawn. Oh, no, that's not my lawn. That's my neighbor's lawn. Go back. Okay, that's, not, that's my lawn. So my lawn is ugly-ish. It's nice, you know. But go to the other lawn. Ooh. <laughs> God provided this amazing house for me. It is like way better of a house than I ever thought I would ever afford. But when, when this was happening, I would drive up, and this, my neighbor's lawn that he was putting steroids in, like killed my joy, okay? It stole my joy, and it was because I was comparing. And comparing will always kill contentment in your life. Comparing never does anything good. There's two options when you compare. Either you get depressed about what others have and you don't, or you get impressed with yourself and what you have. None of those are good for your spiritual health. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. 
If you're not careful, this device can kill your contentment. Anyone on Instagram? Okay, they, they, read, they literally read my mind. I was thinking about buying a, a new pair of shoes, and that pair of shoes came up on, on my, it was like, I don't know how they do it. The technology is way better than you think. I, or you say you're going to go take a camping trip to some beautiful place like Lake Almanor. It's an hour away. Dude, have you guys been there? It's really beautiful, okay? I, I went to school at a college in Texas, I mean in Oklahoma. Texas, Oklahoma, same thing. I, I, okay. That's some, um, and their lakes are ugly. They're like red and nasty. But you could be saying you're going to Lake Almanor, okay? Picture it. It'll be fun. But then your, your friend just graduated, and just went on this epic trip to Europe, Italy. Ooh, look at that food. You know, and, and you, there's like 50 epic pictures. They went to the Alps. They went to this. And you, all of a sudden, your trip to Lake Almanor <laughs> sounds a little bit lame, okay? So don't, here's the thing. We all struggle with stuff. We all, no one's life is, even the people that ha- seem to have the best life, the Instagram influencers, man, they... They look good on the outside, but man, their life is just as jacked up as yours. Let me, let me, let me promise you that. So what we don't want to do is don't compare other people's highlight reel with your behind the scenes. Don't compare other people's highlight reel with your behind the scenes. The reality is everyone is struggling. Life is hard. And yes, we don't want to, no, we don't want to wish Um, bad things on other people, but just realize when you're tempted to compare, you're seeing their highlight reel. You don't see all the behind the scenes. You don't see what's going on in real life. But at the end of the day, comparison is rooted in pride. C.S. Lewis, a great author, said this. He said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is comparison that makes you proud. The pleasure of being above the rest. Pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. So when you see someone else be successful, you see another person get engaged when you, you haven't even met anyone in years. <laughs> Celebrate with them. Celebrate the successes of others. Because the only, that's a way to fight temptation is celebrate the successes of others. The next thing that will kill contentment is covetousness. Covetousness will kill contentment. And did you know that covetousness is actually one of the Ten Commandments? It's one of the big ten that God gave on the stone tablets. And I've always kind of found that to be a funny one to add. Like right next to murder and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, covetous? Okay. It didn't seem to be quite as bad as killing someone. I don't know. It just didn't seem as bad. But actually, it is the one of the sins that leads to the other ones, okay? It is the root that leads to the other, other sins. So coveting leads to stealing. Coveting leads to murder. It can lead to adultery. It, can, it is a root of sin that can reach out and get its, tang, its um, tentacles all over your life, You may be thinking, okay, Paul, all this talk about contentment is great, but you don't know my situation right now, okay? I have perfected 20 ways to eat ramen, okay? Uh, If if I just had a little bit more, then I would be content. 
If I just had this job, or if I was just getting these grades, or if that guy would notice me, then I would be content. And I think the problem with a little bit more is that there's always a little bit more. There's always, no matter how much success in life you've accumulated, no matter how much love or affection you have, even in a relationship, like a dating relationship, or even married, I'm happily married for 11 years, and my, li- my wife is a wonderful wife, okay? But she's a terrible savior, okay? <laughs> she, she is not going to fill me up the way only Jesus can fill me up. So college students, a lot of you, money is not your primary struggle with contentment. For, for college students, a lot of your contentment struggles is about what's next, okay? When I graduate and get a job, my dream job, then I'll be content, when I get that girl, my, make that girl mine, I will be content. Some of you guys are thinking that, I promise. Um, the truth is, if you can't be content now in your situation, you will never be content. If you can't learn to be content, content in your current situation, you will never learn to be content. Because there's always more. Too many people sell out in their walk with Jesus. They do it for money. They do it for status. They do it for a relationship. But those things will rob you of the joy and contentment that you can only find in Christ. Cody uh, mentioned this passage in the second challenge, but I'm going to mention it again. It says, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. If you're a follower of Christ, the world is going to constantly barrage you, telling you, you need more. You need this. You need that. You need a good job. You need a a beautiful wife or a really hunky husband. You need this or that. You need, and they're constantly going to tell you that. But, and that's just going to slowly choke out your spiritual life and your joy in your life. So I have a question. What other thing could distract you from following Christ? What other thing could distract you from following Christ? I want you to take one second and write that down. What's your one thing, the thing that just pops in your mind? What's the other thing that could distract you? I heard about a pastor friend told me a story of a family that had a great job. They were at a great church. They were growing. They were doing ministry. Everything was going well, and they were growing spiritually. They were serving the local church. And all of a sudden, they got this awesome job opportunity in Alaska. And they could, they could be in nature. They could see the bears, live with the bears, and go fishing with my kids. And it was $20,000 more a year. Who would want $20,000 more a year? Sign me up. But they looked at the city that was in, and they couldn't find any really good churches, and they were just starting to grow spiritually, and the pastor actually challenged them. He said, okay, yeah, this job looks great, and yeah, the nature is great, but really your walk with Jesus needs to come first, and your ministry needs to come first. So I want to encourage you to turn this job down. Pray about it. At least pray about it. And it turns out they said no. They went off to Alaska, and 20 years later, they met back up with that pastor, and they said, man, when we got there, we had a great time fishing and just enjoying all the Alaska-y stuff. 
but I, we didn't get into a good church, and we didn't really grow spiritually, and slowly but surely, our marriage unraveled, and our spiritual life unraveled, and our kids are not walking with God. And he looked at that pastor, my friend, with tears, and he said, I would give anything to take that decision back because my family's future is not worth $20,000 a year. And I think too many people sell out spiritually and they sell out for what God wants for them in their life just for something as lame as $20,000 a year or even lamer than that. Some of us will sell out for a girl or a boy. Some of us will sell out for success or popularity. Let's check out this passage I mentioned the first part. 1 Timothy 6, 6-10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich, who wants to get rich? I don't know, I do. But be careful. Fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin. Circle the word, word ruin. Oh, I don't want you to miss that. And destruction. Circle the word destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some e- people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I've heard this passage misquoted, and they've said money is the root of all evil. No, money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And the love of money doesn't mean, like, I appreciate a paycheck just as much as the next guy. Love of money doesn't mean you, you, you like collecting money or whatever. It means that you make an idol out of money. It means you put, you put money and success, and some of us insert not just money, but success or relationships or whatever it is, status. That, if you put that over God, that's called idolatry. And Jesus drew a line in the sand when it came to money and it came to contentment. And he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, both, cannot serve both God and money. Notice in the first Timothy passage, it says, wandered from the faith. So this is not something that you do on purpose. You don't purposely, most people don't purposely choose to walk away from following Christ fully. Most people, it's like, a, it's like the lazy river. You just kind of go with it. And life is like a lazy river that takes you away from full devotion to Christ. And so you have to be intentional to swim against the current of life and the priorities that the world is constantly barraging you with. And I, I'm getting, I'm into like, entrepreneurial stuff and like business stuff. And so again, Facebook is always sending me ads of some guy that's like making millions by hanging out in his pajamas all day and selling webinars. I don't know. And it's like, that is just pulling at something that's not healthy. Um, And so beware of that. Don't sell out. Don't sell out to something as small as money. Don't sell out to something as small as a relationship. Be someone that's committed and getting your joy and contentment only from Christ. For me, one of the things I'm tempted to sell out by is success in ministry. 
I, I've been offered, I'm, I'm writing a book right now, and there's some other things, like going to conferences, things like that, and there's this temptation, even some good things, for me to get my identity and get my security in something that God never intended me to get my identity and my contentment from. Yes, those are blessings, those are great, and I, I love it, but at the end of the day, if God takes all that from me, I should be able to be content in who I am in Christ. I have a friend that's a CEO, and uh, he told me, I have a lot of friends that are millionaires that have a lot more money than me. And he said, I also know a lot of miserable millionaires. I know a lot of millionaires that are just, their lives are falling apart. Using success to solve your contentment problem is like using a Band-Aid to heal cancer. It just doesn't work. So here's the key to this passage in Philippians 4. Christ is the only true source of contentment. You could probably see that one coming, okay? Jesus is the only true source of contentment. Let's look at the passage again. Philippians 4, 10 through 14. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength." Paul's like, I've learned the secret of being content. I know the secret. And it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, Tim Tebow, anyone know who that is anymore? Okay, like two. Um, he, he said he put it on his eye black. And a bunch of people Googled it. Steph Curry, it's on his shoes. Philippians 4.13. Because some people apply it, well, Philippians 4.13, I can squat. 500 pounds, you know, that's, that's not, that's not what the verse says. Okay. It's fine if you want to do that, but I, I, that would hurt. But actually Curry needs it when he loses a game. I can be content. I can do all things. I can, which doesn't happen too often. Paul was in prison when he wrote this. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When he was chained to a guard, when he, was, he had infections on his arm, when he was beaten, he was probably sick, he was probably starving. That's when he said, I can do all things through Christ. It wasn't when he was squatting 500 pounds, <laughs> okay? He was actually, the word Paul means little, so he probably wasn't squatting much. I didn't plan to say that. Okay, he said, I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I want you to find that phrase on the top of your handout. I am not saying this because I am in need. He was in prison. He was starving. Why did he say that he wasn't in need? He was basically saying, I'm good. I'm good. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, see, see, blessings are great, but that's all they are. Blessings are bonus. Okay, blessings don't need to be the end-all, be-all. There's, there's a certain type of Christianity that teaches that God, if you do good things and you give money and you do this and you do that, then God will give you all these goodies. We don't want God for his goodies, his blessings. We want God for God. We want God to know him because 
There's nothing better than knowing Christ. Don't follow God so he can bless you. Blessings will come when you follow him, but follow him because he is worth it, because he is the ultimate blessings, the blessing in your life. So one reason people get discontent is they get the source confused with the supply. They get the source. Jesus is the source of life. He is the source of blessing, and he supplies all of our needs. But then when we start getting his blessings in our life, like even a good thing, like a marriage or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, or kids, even kids, those can be a distraction from the ultimate, the source, which is going to be the true source of your contentment in life. Jesus is infinitely worthy and he is infinitely precious. And the more you get to know him, the less other things hold sway in your life, even good things. I actually love my wife more because I love Jesus more. And so it, it's, you don't have to choose between the two. Philippians 3, 7, and 8. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. Philippians 3, 7, and 8. Surpassing greatness. Circle that phrase, surpassing greatness. Why would Paul say that? Because Jesus did the ultimate act of love for you. If you want to look up what love is, don't go to the dictionary, go to Calvary. Go to the cross. If you want to know what love is, look at what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin. And then he rose from the dead, and he's giving you a completely new life, a fresh start. You were in the prison, okay? You were in a prison of your own sin, your own condemnation. Think about the, the sins that you struggle with. You were in a prison. And not only did God free you from the prison, he took you to the palace. He adopted you into his family. And now you, I tell my daughter Evelyn, she's four, that she is a princess, because she is God's princess. She is, God has adopted her into his family, and God loves her because she's committed her life to Christ, which is awesome. And, uh, and she is, she beams with that. So you are part of God's family. If you are a Christian, get this, your past is completely forgiven. Then the next thing is you are adopted into God's family. You are like a son or daughter of God. And then you get a purpose to live for. God has a, a custom-designed plan for you to live out. And it's, it's more meaningful than anything you could come up with yourself. And then one of the best things is you're going to spend eternity in heaven with God. Eternity forever and ever and ever. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're just going to, I'm going to be surfing some gnarly waves <laughs> there because I won't die. It's going to be awesome. Let me just honestly ask you a question. If you're a follower of Christ, those things I just mentioned, what more do you need? Like, what more do you need than your past forgiven, adopted in the family of God, a purpose for living, and an eternal home in heaven? Like, we have something so precious. And then a relationship with Christ, a real relationship with Jesus. So if you're not content... It's because you're not as connected to Christ as you could be. 
This, I'm just going to say it straight up, okay? If you're not content, it means you're not really connected to Christ the way you should be. And this is a, some, something that you can grow deeper and deeper in, in your walk with God. And it is something that is literally amazing to me. It's mind-blowing to me that I could have the level of joy that I have now. If you told me 15 years ago the joy I could have today, I wouldn't believe you. Because there's always more you can grow in your walk with Christ. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. You are never going to get to the bottom of the goodness of God. It is so deep. It is so good. It is so rich. And I can say, I want to challenge you. Go deeper. Go deeper in your walk with God. Go deeper in your commitment to God. And you're never going to regret it. You're, you're, you're going to regret not going harder after God. But you, you will not regret spending extra time with him, making sacrifices to grow with him, making sacrifices to serve him. And all that with the goal of life is to know Jesus better. If you want to know your, if you want a mission statement for your life, until you figure out something better, which you won't, okay, know Jesus. Write that down. Know Jesus. That is your mission statement. Do that. Know Jesus. If you can get to know Jesus better, that's a good mission statement for life. Knowing Christ and making him known to others. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God is saying, stop boasting. Stop boasting about other things. If you're going to boast about anything, boast about one thing. And that's you know God. So there's two things that can turn you, your gaze and your affection to God, is blessings. Blessings should be a thing that really turn your gaze to God. I was up at uh, near Lake Tahoe this week. We had a little break, and we were up there, and there was this beautiful sunset. I posted it on my Insta if you want to follow me. Okay. Um, <laughs> check it out. It's a beautiful picture, and that inspires worship. But you know what else draws you closer to God is hardships. My wife, Christy, has a bad back. She's had a bad back for about, about eight years now. And when she had our, my son Owen, her hips went out of whack. And she can basically only get up for about 20 minutes at a time and walk around and do things. And so it's been a really intense trial in our life. And it's been really difficult. And, but through it, God has done two things. He's drawn Christy and I closer to each other. Like our relationship is so much closer than it's ever been. And it's also forced us to get to know God better. And for those two things, I thank God for that. I pray for her every day. I ask God to heal her, but God has chosen not to heal her. C.S. Lewis said, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. And because we, through the pain, through the hardship, we have chosen to walk with God, more or less, through our fumbling and bumbling, and God's grace has carried us through the whole way. People ask, when I tell people about this issue with Christy, 
at this point, it's just part of our life. And so I'll mention, yeah, Christy has a bad back, and we get a lot of, like, pity and stuff like that. And, like, I'm almost surprised with, by that now because both of us, Christy and I, like, we're content. Like, we're happy. Like, yes, Christy has this back issue, but everyone has something. Everyone has something in their life. And if you ask, if people sometimes are like, hey, how did you, how do you guys stay so happy in the midst of struggle? And my answer for that is Philippians 4.13, is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Jesus is the only reason that we can be content, we can be happy, even through something as serious, and it looks like it's going to be like that for the rest of our lives. And in heaven, she'll have a new body, and it'll be awesome. But man, life, this life is not heaven. This world is not heaven. Everything doesn't have to be perfect for you to enjoy your life. You can enjoy, like, we have so much joy in our lives, even though she has that, she's stuck in her chair most of the time. Man, I, I want you guys to get this. Life is not about comfort and convenience. Life is not about success or status. Life is about knowing Jesus. And through that, everything else, through that root of knowing Jesus, beauty will come out. Everything else will come out. And now our life is filled with so much more blessing. So that leads me to my last thing, is true contentment is only found in the context of total commitment to Christ. True contentment. It doesn't really work if you follow Christ halfway. Have any of you guys tried to kind of get in shape? (laughs) It doesn't work. Okay, I got a few. Yeah, but it doesn't work. How about getting out of debt? Yeah, I'm going to kind of try to get out of debt. No, no. I've even tried and it doesn't work. Okay. So that's the same with, with following Jesus. Humans are creatures of commitment. So you're going to have to choose, are you going to be committed to following Christ? And it's easy to read passages like Philippians 4 and hear about Apostle Paul in prison and hear about him chained to the guard and think, yeah, that's, that's kind of like a fairy tale or a fable or a legend But no, this is real. Like, this actually happened. And as I was studying this passage, the Lord impressed on me that I want, God basically said to me, he said, I want the same commitment that Paul has, Apostle Paul, that Apostle Paul has to me and my mission from you. Because you can't have the contentment of Paul without the commitment of Paul. This Philippians 4.13 that he's talking about, this contentment, this rejoicing, even in the worst circumstances, is only found when you fully step in to the life that God's called you to. Christ demands the same level of commitment to each one of his followers as the Apostle Paul, not because he's a stickler, but because he knows on the other side of commitment is joy. On the other side of surrender is life that is, like, different than the life you're currently living. If you're not fully surrendered to Christ, man, I just want to call you forward. Like, there's no better life than knowing Jesus fully. Jesus said this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul. And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? 
Again, Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. He's saying, either you follow me or you don't. Mark 8, 35, only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. So what's stopping you from making that once and for all, line in the sand, all in commitment to following Christ? Jesus is calling you to a life that's deeper and richer and more meaningful. It's not an easier life necessarily, but it's a joyful life that can be beyond and above your circumstances. If that's you and you need to surrender your life to Christ, I have a suggested prayer on the screen. And I'm just going to read it and then challenge you guys who wants to pray it. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins and rising from the dead. I want to turn from my sins and trust you completely. Please forgive me and grant me your gift of eternal life. Lead me and guide me in every year of my life. Give me the joy and contentment that only you can give. Now, these are not magic words, but I want to just take a few moments for you to pray whatever. Maybe it's this prayer. Maybe you've already made this decision, but I want to just give you like 30 seconds. The band will come on up. And I just want to challenge you, make that commitment tonight, a new. Some of you guys need to make it a fresh, going from 90% committed to 100% committed. Some of you guys, this is the first time that you need to just say, I'm all in with God. I want this new life. So let's go ahead and take a moment and pray silently. Jesus, you know our hearts, and you know that many of us don't really know exactly what it would mean to give our lives fully to you, but you know, and I pray that you would invite us in to the life of true joy and true contentment, and that I pray that each one in here would take that next step that you're calling us to, that we would be courageous and that you would be gracious as you are that you would be gracious. I know that your grace covers us every step of the way. So we don't need to be perfect in our commitment, Lord, but we, you want us to be sincere. And so I pray that we would each come to a sincere place of total commitment to you and that you would just flood our hearts with joy like you promise you will. And I praise in Jesus' name, amen.